C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Hello, campers, and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Ergy. And we have a stellar Maddie and Shay friendship podcast coming at you today. We are super excited. Many things to talk about. Probably the most well-produced and thought-through episode we've ever done. Exactly. I know. We even just had an editorial meeting, so kids, get excited. I love it. Um, Me too. All right, Shay. Shall we dive in with a fan email? Yes, please. I have not seen this one yet, so I'm very excited. It is very exciting. It's from Natalie F. Natalie F. Who could that be? I don't know. Definitely not a former guest of the pod. Definitely not. Um, Okay. It says... Happy Earth Overshoot Day. Google it. It's fucking depressing. I actually haven't Googled it, so I don't know what that is, but okay. I'll Google it after. In paying my respects to the Earth's depleted resources, I decided to ride my bike to work, which is not exactly logical since I would otherwise be taking the subway, which runs whether or not I'm on it, so it's kind of like a sunk cost in terms of resources, if you know what I mean. I digress. <laughs> Thanks, Natalie. <laughs> Me and all of my good intentions swerved off the road halfway to work in the middle of the woods, wiped the fuck out, and now I have a gnarly gash on my knee and can barely walk. Best part was supposed to present a project that I have co-led this afternoon with our VP. My boss has urged me to stay home, and the blood that has soiled three towels every time I try to walk also urges me not to go in public. Here is a nice picture of my elevated leg, inclusive of, of gauze and ice packs. She sent a picture. I'll post it on the Instagram. Aww. Not picture my face, which is very, which very clearly displays an expression of "damn." I guess I need to start wearing knee pads if I want to maintain any semblance of adult. Best regards from my bed in Hanover, Natalie. Oh, well, Natalie, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Um, I also think you should maybe go get a few stitches if it's still bleeding. That's probably yeah. a good idea. That knee skin is very fragile. Um, but also, I can't tell you, like, how many times shit like this would happen to me. And it was always on the days when I am like, I am so adult. I am wearing pantyhose. I am walking to work. Do, do, do. And then you just wipe the fuck out. And next thing you know, you've, like, you know, you've had to, like, take off your pantyhose and throw them in the garbage. And you're bleeding everywhere. And then you have to have, like, a meeting. And it's very embarrassing. So I feel your pain. It is very embarrassing. Yeah. Thank you, Natalie. Um, Shay, we have a special segment based on... A text conversation we were having so would you yes. like to intro it and give your thoughts first i would i would since you introduced it to me okay i will talk about it i have many thoughts um so i wanted to talk a little bit this past week uh you know i, I think pretty much everyone on the planet is uh familiar with the podcast my favorite murder and uh clearly we both are Should although we i think intro it for maybe our boomer listeners who might not know what it is yes so um, my favorite murder is a podcast by two, I guess you, they are comedians in Los Angeles, uh, Georgia Hardstark and Karen Kilgariff. And a couple years ago, just on a whim, basically, they started this podcast because they're both big true crime fans where they kind of 
I mean, it sounds awful and they admit this. It's a comedy podcast about murder. Um, but basically they go on and they like talk about a case or something and they like go into the details and they give their signature comedic spin on it. And it's very clever and very funny and they are very, and now this is kind of getting into the topic, um, you know, they are very cognizant about what they're doing and kind of different boundaries they're pushing or not pushing, et cetera. Um, and for boomers who don't know about the success of this podcast, I mean, it's really, I would say, meteoric. Yeah. Like they're like the number two podcast right now below yeah. Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan gets like 50 million downloads like a month. It's insane. Yeah. So they're like so- on his level. Exactly. They're hugely listened to. They have fans all over the world. Um, and, you know, they're just cool chicks. Um, and they really, you know, in my opinion, in addition to producing interesting and funny content, they do a lot of good work. Uh, they're very open about uh, mental health awareness. Um, they, in my opinion, tried to do a good job to really represent you know, and talk about a variety of victims and situations. And, you know, they're very cognizant of you know, a lot of issues that talking about true crime brings up. So part of this like meteoric rise to fame is that they have a line of merch and they do live shows and et cetera. And a lot of these, you know, some of them fund obviously my favorite murder because it's not free to produce. They have like a full-time employee named Steven. Um, but they also give, you know, they do occasionally special merch runs where they will donate some of the proceeds to charity, et cetera, et cetera. So they, This summer did a summer camp themed merch line. Very cute. Uh, It goes back to some things that are said in the podcast. Lots of like inside jokes. Um, And one of their logos is um, a teepee. And I think I keep I looked at it. And now, of course, I'm like forgetting exactly what it looks like. I love one that I saw was like it was like one TP. It was like a cartoon TP on the front and then it was like smaller TPs kind of in the background of the photo. And then it had like the acronym for stay sexy don't get murdered on it. And Mm -hmm. then it said like MFM or whatever for my favorite murder on the top. Yes, exactly. Um, And whatever. It was cute. Um, A couple weeks after they started selling them somebody reached out or somebody oh, like I didn't said, realize they had already started selling them that's interesting I think so and somebody was like hey this is super inappropriate because it's cultural appropriation and then people got really up in arms about them and probably not you know and of course immediately they were like yes we understand this is a sensitive thing we're going to take it down um whatever you know but Georgia also kind of liked a couple Instagram posts defending the teepee design and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I guess I think we've talked about this before. I mean, I know we've talked about this before because I think the cultural appropriation is such a topic for our generation. Yeah. Um, it's that and the internet often. outrage yeah, thing. Exactly. Too. So um, let's see. And of course I was interested in this because our own logo depicts a tent. I will say we clearly did not choose it because it is vaguely reminiscent of a TP, yeah. but it when you could texted me a TP. Yeah, when you texted me about this, literally, like I can't even overstate, like it sounds dramatic, but when you texted me being like we have to, you know, we can go into this, but basically you were expressing concern about our logo in relation to this issue, and I was like 
is our logo a teepee? I was like, I thought it was a tent. And then I looked yeah. at it again and I was like, okay, it is crossed at the top. Yeah. But definitely like you designed it and obviously I've looked at it lots of times. Yeah. We have merch. We have, you know, we've had 57 episodes of this podcast. We've had numerous guests. Lots of people listen mm-hmm. to it. Like never once has someone said to me it was a teepee in any sort of context. So it, that was just interesting to me as yes. well. And I think in designing it and choosing that piece of art like I definitely thought it looked more like I guess it's called a pup tent it's like the triangle type tent um but just seen from the front and not from an angle yeah uh so you know Maddie and I had a long discussion about that uh and we decided at this point not to change it but of course we would really like to hear from our listeners and if you think that you know not that we're going to listen to you and change it but um we decided, you know, this is our logo. It's representative of the camp theme. It is not and never has been a teepee. So what do we go? How do we go from there if people interpret it as a teepee? Um, so I, you know, ultimately with the My Favorite Murder thing, I don't think it's going to have any long lasting repercussions from them except, you know, a couple weeks of annoyance and, um you know, they made a big donation to a charity that supports um, indigenous people in North America. So that's awesome. And they took down the shirts uh, or whatever the design was, which I had kind of mixed feelings about because I totally get that it's inappropriate. But if they had 2000 of those shirts printed up, that's so wasteful to me. Like to me, that's just as disgusting as the fact that they chose a teepee because those are going to go straight in the landfill uh, and they're probably each wrapped in plastic. So they're never going to biodegrade, Yeah, which is a whole nother thing. So then this brain comes back to this, you know, ongoing conversation we have about cultural appropriation. And, you know, I have some additional thoughts on that, but I wanted Maddie to be able to get a word in edgewise first. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I think it goes back to two things. One is that it's interesting to me that these women are obviously they're two white women. I don't know if we mentioned that specifically before, but for people that don't know what they look like, they are two white women. And, you know, clearly, if you've listened to the podcast, it is very, you know, whatever you want to say, left leaning, liberal, woke, whatever term you want to use, like, that's how I would describe it. And so, there's not like a malice in what they're doing. There might be an ignorance for sure. You could argue that point, but there's definitely not a malice. And to me, when I look at, you know, our logo that could be interpreted as a teepee, anyone who's listened to even one episode, I would say, I think we're pretty real on this podcast. People know us. And certainly the people that have listened to all the episodes that we are very upfront about it, similarly to how the My Favorite Murder Girls are, like, that's part of the reason why I like doing this podcast is because I want to talk to people who are different from me and to expand my worldview. And I don't pretend like I know everything. Um, But I did want to bring up two things. One, I have something to read that I found on Reddit, which I thought pretty much encapsulated how I felt about this situation in particular and how I feel about, you know, comedians, I think specifically. Oh, hello, Benson. Benson, you're ruining everything. No, I like it. Um, it's nice ambiance. Um, Love you, I, I have two things. One, I don't think comedians, I hold comedians to a different standard from other people because I think that they can get away with some things that could be quote unquote offensive. And, um, I also think in their particular shirt situation in relation to our logo, 
the stay sexy, don't get murdered in relation to indigenous people, I think could be seen as offensive. That's what offended me about it. Not mm-hmm. necessarily. That's why I'm like, I don't think that white people should not be able to use teepees in a design or use Native American, you know, traditional ways. Obviously, there's a difference between, you know, making fun of someone or wearing mm-hmm. an Indian outfit on Halloween like that I don't think is allowed. But if you're using incorporating something into a design and giving homage to that or you know using it in a cute playful way that is fine i think pairing it with a phrase you know poking fun at murder and obviously they are comedians like that could be seen as bad so that that's yeah. where i was like offended by and it and for those of you listeners who are not up on murder statistics and of course i don't have the exact number in front of me but uh, Native American women are murdered at a significantly higher ratio to uh, women of any other ethnicity and yeah. particularly, of course, white women. Yeah. So. so that to me, I was like, OK, I don't think that it's the image that's so much of a problem. It's more so the whole context of the podcast. But anyways, I was looking after you because I don't listen to My Favorite Murder very regularly. Like I like it, but I'm kind of behind. But they have for a podcast, a very large Facebook and Reddit community. And obviously, this controversy wasn't really written about in the press. And so for someone who doesn't follow them closely, really, the only thing I could read about was on Reddit and Facebook. And I found this particular kind of Reddit post that someone had written. And I was like, it so poignantly points out not only in this situation, but just outrage culture in general, especially outrage coming from people who preach tolerance and equal inclusion and everything. And I just her words i'm assuming she's a she just from what how she wrote but um she really encapsulates what i was trying to say when we were texting the other day and what i wanted to say now so um so it says i've been randomly posting here and there on this thread meaning about the controversy but i thought it might be smart to give my take on it i'm a native american woman so the whole teepee shirt debacle sort of tossed the ball in my direction I'm sure there are hundreds of other Native American women and men possibly enduring all of this. While I realize the teepee shirts aren't the only issue that people are bringing up, it's the one I can comment on. That being said, I want to preface my comment with this. I speak for myself only, and this is my opinion only. I'm not a voice for the whole Native American community, and I'd be a shit spokesperson if that was a thing. Here we go. I'm not offended by the teepee shirt. Actually, I'm not offended by it in the least. As a Native American woman, I saw the shirt literally thought it was a reference to being in the woods and that it was cute and went on with life. Once realizing it looks like a teepee, I still wasn't offended. Why? Because having listened to Karen and Georgia for so long, I'm definitely sure that they would never have attempted to appropriate something from my culture. I'm extremely proud of my culture, my history, and my people. We haven't had it easy and still don't, but that's a story for another day. Like I said in another comment, I've been to a friend's house before and her daughter had a little teepee set up in her room with barbie dolls inside it was cute and fine now if that little girl was dressed up in a cowboy outfit or an indian one dancing around to pretend fire that's a completely different story if you're dancing around singing a stereotypical song in a teepee then you can bet we're gonna have a word i saw another comment on here about the competition of woke white women Performing wokeness is a problem, and scream typing at someone for having a different belief or asking a question is actually insane. If we're constantly attacking one another when we're trying to learn and and understand, how will either side actually learn anything? I don't need woke fans explaining my culture to me and trying to guilt me into being offended. Teepees in my culture have a lot of significance and meaning. They are powerful, beautiful, and a deep part of my culture. To me, I like... 
I feel like being offended about something like that ends up trivializing bigger issues in my community, i.e. murder, alcoholism, sexism, rape, domestic violence, etc. Karen and Georgia aren't perfect, and putting them on a pedestal is against the spirit of the podcast and family. They fuck up, they try and fix it, and that's more than I can ask for. There are so There's so much pain in the world right now, especially being a person of color, and something like this is too small to give my attention to. So anyways, I thought that that encapsulated kind of outrage culture, and obviously this is one person's perspective, but there were like hundreds of comments from Native American people on this thread, and I read a lot of threads about this issue, and it was a lot of the Native American people I saw posting were saying that they themselves had no feelings on it or were more offended that white women were trying to speak on their behalf and act offended. And to me, kind of pivoting to um, the kind of performative outrage culture that people do on the internet, I think part of it is that Karen and Georgia are successful. People are jealous of their success and they want to tear them down like any other celebrity. And again, like, it's fine if you're like, hey, I think maybe in context with your slogan, like, this is not, it doesn't paint you in the best light, but to be like, they're canceled, they suck, they're racist, like, you know, forming a mob. And apparently the Facebook group was a lot more vitriolic than the Reddit yeah, group. Yeah, I I just looked at it briefly and it, there was a lot of, like, uh, so Karen and Georgia actually, they started that group, they, you know, quote unquote, fired all the moderators because they oh, were wow. like, this is out of control. Yeah. yeah. And so I think a lot of the, you know, people went to Reddit and tried to make it a little bit more reasonable. But I think to me, if you're going to, this is what I was trying to say to you in the text messages, like if you're going Mm -hmm. after someone in a not nice way and you're forming an internet mob against them, it makes your point look stupid. And quite frankly, the people that you're quote unquote trying to protect, which by the way, I don't think all these people that were attacking Georgia and uh, Karen really care about Native Americans or know any of the issues that are facing them or what they care about as a community. Mm-hmm. And that to me really bothers me. And I think, you know, as someone else in the public eye who has a podcast, it's like, I don't want to make decisions about my podcast based on the mob mentality of people that are hiding behind a computer that have never, you know, met Karen in Georgia. And then there's all these people who are like, hey, I'm an actual Native American person mm-hmm. and I'm not offended by this. And I'm actually more offended that you're trying to shout me down, speak on behalf of me, say that I should be offended about something that I literally don't care about and not take the time to learn about actual issues that are affecting this community. Well, exactly. And I think that is, you know, certainly the big thing that came up for me and is that there are some really big, really serious issues like the Reddit commenter, commentator, commentator, um, made, uh, about suicide, alcoholism, um, you know, domestic abuse in the Native American communities. And if people want to place their outrage somewhere, place it on that and place it on our government who is not getting the proper help to this to these people. Um, exactly. Not to, you know, stay on this topic for too long. But no, I, I like did it. It's wanna, interesting. Yeah. So it was interesting because I was thinking about this a lot and I was thinking again about, you know, does this white outrage about cultural appropriation, as Maddie calls it, the performative outrage, you know, is it taking attention away from the actual atrocities, which is what we believe it is doing? Um, Or does, is this use of appropriation, you know, is it belittling the atrocities and is it, you know, is it all part of the 
the system that allows the atrocities to happen. Now, I don't believe it is, but right after I was kind of researching this and thinking about this, I listened to another favorite podcast, um, which is the Dear Sugars podcast, which oh, yeah, love sadly that one. is ending no. after this season. That's I know so I'm so upset. Um, so they did an article or a um an episode on privilege. Um, and they brought on Catrice M. Jackson, who's an African American woman, and she hosts the She Talks, We Talk, Race Talks uh, for Women. Um, and it was just a really interesting podcast. I think in a lot of ways, I'd recommend everybody listen to it, um, especially coming after just spending a lot of mental energy thinking through this MFM scandal. Uh, because, you know, I really I think what Catrice is doing is really important. I have said before on this podcast, and I will say it again, I do not understand what it is like to be a person of color. Um, I do not know what it's like to be a person of color in our country. Uh, I do not know what it's like to be an immigrant. And I don't pretend to know all of those things. And as you know, quote, unquote, woke as I try to be, none of us are woke, like we you can't, you can empathize or and sympathize. But you're never really going to know what it is. But what I, you know, Catrice gets on and she's talking and she's like, you know, if you start getting upset or if you feel uncomfortable when you're talking about racism, you're a racist. You know, if you're not reading books by African-American people, you're a racist. If you're not. And I was just kind of like, this is not the way to talk about this. And this is not the way to get people to realize, yeah, guess what? It is. I know that I have privilege because I don't ever have to worry about walking, you know, being stabbed on a subway platform, you know, on my way home sure. late at night. Everyone has I, privileges and disadvantages. Yeah. And it's good well, to recognize which ones apply to you and which ones don't apply to you. Exactly. So, I, you know, I just... You know, there was the subtext again here that, you know, Catrice was talking about is that basically all white people are racist. The woker the white person is almost the more racist they are. And there was why I'm just like, I can't. (laughs) Yeah. And there was just really no good solutions that she gave. And I kind of was like, okay, how can we come at this issue? Because I didn't disagree with her. I think it's because, you know, and I I haven't listened to this, but I've, there's a better way to talk about it. I've dealt with people like this before and I'm not trying to belittle her or her opinion, but I think you're coming at it from a place of you're like, I want to do better. I genuinely want to learn about this. I don't think in her mind you're ever going to get there. You know what I mean? So to me, I'm like, she's not looking to help you with a solution. She's not looking to walk you through it, nor nor should she. And that's why I'm like, the salient like, way to boil this down is the individual. Because there's no way that you can be like, even when we're talking about the Native American experience, it's like, I read a post from one woman on Reddit out of, you know, millions mm-hmm. of Native American people, right? Like, she's not representative of everything. She's talking about her own story. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like to broad scale, say like this language or these people or stay in your lane or, you know, you have to look at people as individuals. And that's what I try to do with my life. I don't. And with that, you have to look at yourself as the you have to be intellectually honest with yourself, I think, and be like, okay, if something bothers me, why does it bother me? If I feel if you're like, okay, there's things on the outside that are telling me I should be bothered by this, but I really don't feel bothered, 
but I feel like I have to, you know, put on a brave face or do something because I'm scared of what the internet mob is going to say. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not being honest with yourself. That's going with the group. And so I think you have to think about yourself. And if you're confident and you're like, I know that I treat people with respect and I'm trying to do the work and I'm reading books and I'm doing all these things, like, I don't give a fuck what anyone else says about me. Like, well, exactly. This woman wants to call me a racist. Like, that's fine. I know I'm not like, you know. Yeah. And I think that like she, you know, the reason I wanted to talk about the Catrice uh, Jackson initiative um, is because it takes it a little bit away from that Internet mob. Um, And it was, you know, in the context of the conversation between Cheryl and Catrice and Steve, um, you know, it was just very interesting because they were replying to a letter from a mother, a white mother with white children who was trying to figure out how she could best make her children understand how privileged they are. And they kind of got down on her for even asking that question. And it's like, we're not going to wake up and everybody's going to be perfect, but there has to be a way. And I think you also make a good point, Maddie, like there's also this lumping of everybody together. And, you know, again, we, people aren't recognized. It's not just a people of color experience, you know, a black person in New York City has a different experience than a black person in LA. Of course. A Native you and American I are person different, like... a Chinese American person. It's it's and and we're just ignoring that by again focusing on cultural appropriation and saying everyone is racist. No, I think it's actually more I'm more offended actually that they took the shirts off the thing the the my favorite murder shirts were taken off the market because they just had a picture of a teepee but they weren't talking about the subtext of the podcast or the fact that, you know, were Native American groups upset by this? Like, I, you know what I mean? That to me is more offensive. Or the fact that, like, Karen and Georgia also have very diverse experiences. You and I have diverse experiences. Mm-hmm. Like, we're both white ladies, but, you know, we have age difference. I don't know what it's like growing up in a rural community. Like, there's a lot of different things that, yeah. you know, you have you know, different family than I do. Like, there's so many different things. And to just be like, oh, well, they're white ladies and they're canceled. That, to me, I take actually great offense to. Yeah. And I think, again, at the end of the day, it's about just to kind of end this on somewhat of a positive note. Like you were saying, Maddie, it's about how we live our individual life. And it's just focusing on, I think, being aware and being kind and, my big thing in in any and when you're trying to do anything is make sure you're not spending your money on things that are secretly racist or the opposite is you know spend it on people who are doing it well like for example I made a point mostly because I was very excited to see the movie but I went and saw Crazy Rich Asians last night and it was excellent but it's a big deal it's the first movie with an all Asian cast since the Joy Luck Club which came out in 1993 the first film yeah that's you know and there's been many films made that you know have been whitewashed and white cast when they should have been cast with Asians so it was like a huge deal so I felt great going there to the cinema last night and spending an atrocious amount of money (laughs) on the ticket yeah because I knew I was you know again putting my money in people and I'm not saying that crazy rich Asians did it perfectly um, because I'm sure there are people out there who are saying it's a racist but that's how you feel and some other people are like I only go to see movies if they're entertaining but they do other things like everyone is different in how they do it and I think you know I think it really comes my favorite book which I said I was going to plug so you've been publicly shamed by John Ronson like all these people like anytime you read something like in the New York Times or the Atlantic or something. And it's like, 
this person is shitty because of this. They always, 100% of the time, they always come out on top because people are curious. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are too scared to say how they really feel or say that they support this person, but they do so behind the scenes. But they're not part of, like, the popular narrative. And I think it happens with famous people. And I really think that's why part of the reason why no one like our podcast is still pretty small and it's a lot of the people that listen and have been on the pod are friends of ours like I trust their opinion more than an internet person but no one's said to me and we've brought up controversial things on the podcast and I've definitely had hard conversations with people but no one's been like you're canceled because you suck like that only happens to people Mm -hmm. that people are jealous of and they want to take them down and they are sad sitting in their mom's basement writing on reddit and they're jealous that Karen and Georgia have 30 million downloads every week. Like that to me is what it is. And that's why I'm like, I I live my life and I try to learn, but like, I don't give credence to people like that, you know? Yeah. Well, and I agree. And I also think what's really important about Karen and Georgia, and if I can lump us into the same group, what we do is that we are creating a space for conversations and for conversations that might be difficult because I hope somebody does email us and is like, you are two stupid white ladies because then we can have a conversation. Oh, I love it. I want hate mail. That's like my dream. That's how you know know. you've made it. That's what I'm saying. Like only famous people. Please hate us. Please hate us campers. No, it's true. But no. And that's why whenever I, you were talking about like, what are the solutions to being someone who, um, you know, is trying to support marginalized communities and recognize the privilege that they do have. Like, everyone always says, and there's a really great book that I read, which is, it's a different lens from what we're talking about, but kind of similar. It's called Reality Bites Back. And it's about reality show culture. And it's basically like, if you like watching television, but you don't necessarily like how reality TV portrays women or portrays minorities, like, these, they gave very concrete steps on what you could do to help. And a lot of it was like, create a blog, create a podcast, like give a voice to people. Like I would love it if, you know, we give a voice to anyone. Like there's, I can't think of a single person that I wouldn't let on this podcast, like seriously, because, you know, I think we don't like let people railroad us who are ridiculous, but I do want people who haven't had a traditional voice in media to come on here. And I think that means more than the fact that maybe we've misspoken in an interview or in a episode or, you know, Agreed. we made some artistic choice. Like, that makes me feel good. And I'm happy to debate it on air or over email. Like, I feel very strongly about this. And I think the last thing I'll say about it is, you know, a lot of stuff that I listen to and read is talking about, like, the First Amendment. And, you know, that's a government thing and it's guaranteed to us in the constitution but to me it's like if you believe in the first amendment and you believe in creative expression it's to me it's more of a lifestyle and a virtue and Mm -hmm. a value than something that's you know given to me by the government like if I move to another country I'm still gonna think that people should be able to say whatever they want they should face the consequences of that if they're Mm -hmm. trash people I'm not saying you know if people say crazy things like you as a consumer can turn them off or you can, you know, write letters or have a campaign to get them canceled. Like, I'm not saying not to do that, but, you know, to say certain people don't deserve a voice or certain people deserve to be canceled or, you know, someone made a mistake after they've had 500 podcast episodes. And now, um, you know, after you and if you know, if you're a real listener and you know what their character is, like, yeah, well, and I have. 
on that note, I read something really interesting when I was kind of digging into the casting of Crazy Rich Asians because I was really fascinated by it. Um, you know, one of the actresses came out and was like, you know what? Honestly, this shouldn't even be a conversation because yeah. it's not about there being a limited number of roles or a limited number of platforms. It should be about expanding the number of roles and expanding the number of platforms so everybody can have a voice and everybody right, exactly. can have a place to perform or to to do whatever their thing is. And I really, um, I really liked that yeah. um, because we should not be approaching these issues from a combative place. It's just not productive. So yeah. it's um, crazy. Anyway, campers. This is what you're here for. Yeah. Hello at campadulthood.com. We love emails. Yeah. You can also tweet at us. But if you're mean, I will block you. Actually, I'll mute you. Mm, Very nice. Very nice. Because we want the attention. Um, Yes. Okay. So next. Next. Do you have any millennial moments, Shay? Well, I guess I my millennial moment is I um, I just realized it kind my hot topic was our wonderful conversation about my favorite murder so I'm not gonna have a campfire topic cool Uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit because I wrote an article for my professional blog this week about um I call it your quit your day job fund and it's basically about I read it oh thank you yes I have thoughts no, no, no. Oh, you say what you'll say. I'm and then glad I'll... you thought. I do. So, I read all of your um, blog posts, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. I have a good one today co- coming out called uh, Why Your College Major Doesn't Matter. So I'm very Ooh, I like that. that one. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I kind of a friend, a uh, dear friend of mine had asked me, you know, like, how much money do you recommend saving if you're going to quit your job? And I talked about that and um, kind of the different things that I do when I'm trying to kind of math that out. And like, for me, it usually comes to about like, I would recommend no one quits their job without ten to fifteen thousand dollars in the bank. Um, but you have to figure out what works for you. So again, go to shakeheats.com if you want to read that. But what I was gonna say in relation to both my millennial moment and somewhat of a campfire topic is um I got an interesting response from that from just different people um that made me realize how much trouble millennials have with budgeting in general. Um, and then I've always considered myself to be a really good budgeter, but I used this kind of opportunity to take a really hard look at my own budgeting skills and realized I was doing it very poorly. Mm-hmm. So um, just world having a spreadsheet that says you're exactly how you ideally want to spend your money and then not tracking any of it is not how to work things out for yourself to be financially successful. Um, yeah, you so, have to look at the actuals as well. Budget yes. and actuals. So Coming from I, a finance uh, professional. Um, you know, after I was recommending, yeah, I know. And here's somebody who's done myself as well. I've done business accounting for years and I'm very good at that. But, you know, I never kind of go back or very rarely do that. So I've, I'm starting with you need a budget, which is something I recommended to my readers. And um, anyway, it's very popular among millennials. So I'm going to give it a try and then let you guys know how it goes and it's probably going to tell me that I'm really poor and shame me but you know whatever I'm okay with it yeah no knowledge is power I think that's Mm -hmm. the biggest thing it's like people think that business finance and personal finance are very different they're really not like I do finance for my real job I'm also the treasurer for the chapter that I was in for Kappa and um from like an alumni side I'm not still in college but uh you know we have some big purchases and we always have a I do the budget and then I also look every month at the actuals and sometimes they align and sometimes they do not align. And then I do that in my personal life as well. So it can go from business to nonprofit to personal and it's really 
similar. Like you don't have to have a degree in finance. You just say, this is my budget. And then you look at your credit card statement or how much money you withdrew, you know, takes 30 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what were your thoughts on that, my article? Oh, I thought it was really good. Blog. I yeah. I really liked it. I thought it had a lot of um, like really practical things. Like I think a lot of times I've like read similar articles to that and they're, which there is some truth to both ways. It's like it is very individual, which I think you gave credence to in the article. Um, but then it was also like, here's some things that worked well for me and things that you could try, like different tools. And I liked the different like tracking apps that you came up with. The only thing that I thought like at the very end, and it was kind of like a footnote, so I don't, you know, want to act like it was all encompassing. But as someone who like did recently, like try to look for a job very seriously, like Mm -hmm. there was a good three month point where like I was doing nothing with my free time besides applying for jobs. And, you know, I did all the things that they tell you to do. I updated my LinkedIn, even though I hate LinkedIn. I, you know, reached out to my college career center. I basically told all of my friends in my personal network, I'm looking for a new job, yada, yada. And it took me from the time I decided I'm going to leave this job to when I stepped foot in my new job. It was a full 365 days. So the last part where you were like, if you're super unhappy, just leave, like, just a little grain of thought, like, think about your own personal situation. Because I, if I had left on that day when I was super unhappy, and at that time, I was very unhappy, like, if it had gone the same for me, I would have been jobless for a year, not three to six months. Yeah. You know and what I, I mean? Think what I what I could have clarified um, in that, because I think I, you know, I, I think I said something like there's always work there for people who want it, um, is if you are so miserable, like I think, again, you have to make your own assessment of this. And although you were pretty miserable, like you could stick it out. But if you are so miserable that it's affecting your health, mental or physical, get out of there. Because what I meant by there's always work available, like if you are okay with taking a non-professional job for a short period of time or doing temp work or babysitting or whatever or making certain sacrifices to your professional career like you're gonna be fine like it's really you're not gonna be I agree people think it's like you're either employed or you're homeless that I agree with I just think it but like yes it may take you a year to find your next career job but you within a month can find something to fill the gaps if you really have no savings yeah sure which that's also scary the fact that people have zero savings yeah, and that's where it becomes all individual. Like if I had more savings, like I might have quit. But to me, it's like, and this might be going back to the millennial topic. Like, I think you saw it even more than I did. But growing up during the recession and seeing, you know, I had friends of mine whose parents were out of work for three or four years who couldn't even get a job at Starbucks because so many people wanted those jobs in Michigan because the car companies were laying people off. Like that to me very scarred me. And it's definitely how I was raised and my parents have instilled this in me where they were like you don't quit a job unless you're being like harassed or something like obviously there are caveats to this I'm not saying this is all Mm -hmm. encompassing but you know you don't quit a job unless you have your next job lined up whether that's you know I'm gonna quit and then temp or I'm gonna quit like you you basically have to have a plan like walking out and just being like I'm done is a bad idea I think yeah but you have to at least be like I'm gonna quit my job and babysit for six months and then try to apply for something else like that to me is fine but you know there have been times in the recent past where like even those not as professional jobs have been hard to find for very qualified people. So that was my only thing. Yeah. But other than that, I found I 
find all of your articles very interesting and helpful. Oh, the email one was you. really good, not to get too off oh, topic, good. but I've yeah. implemented that actually. Yes, please bring feedback. And if you guys want to, you know, see more content from your wonderful Camp Adulthood hosts, uh, shakeeats.com. I love it. Or at shakeeats. Anyway, thanks, very Maddie, fun. for letting me plug. Um, that's very exciting. Yes. My millennial moment was I got to the airport last night and my flight wasn't until three hours because I left way too early. And then there was only one guy in the TSA pre-check line. Mm -hmm. But there was another flight to Detroit that was like two hours before and I got a seat on it. So that was like super exciting. Um, But the thing that I actually wanted to talk about. Sorry. No worries. I'm so unprepared. I just want to note while Maddie looks that up for our uh, listeners, the difference between a regular millennial and an ancient millennial is Maddie keeps her notes on her phone. Oh, I yes. keep mine in a moleskin notebook. That's so true. I do when I'm editing the episodes, I write like when I write like the show notes or whatever, I do that mm-hmm. in a notebook. But my actual like these are things I want to talk about on the um, podcast I'll talk about this one. I had a couple that I could talk about, but since we were talking about food before, um, the fact that this was um, a Bon Appetit article, and they're talking about avocados, which I'm like, why the avocados? I don't understand why this has become such a meme, but um, just like spending habits of millennials, the fact that they, we tend, which I definitely see this, um, we tend to spend more on food and experiences than on living situations. Yeah. Yeah. and the fact I was reading an article on 538, sorry, this is like all over the place, but I promise it all no, makes sense. But on 538, do. they were talking about, similar to our straw and environmental discussion in a previous episode, mm-hmm. um, was that like a lot of appliances and things like electronic items and, you know, different plastics and stuff have become more fuel efficient. But because mm-hmm. people's houses on average are getting bigger, it actually outweighs the benefits of the fact that appliances are more efficient. Mm-hmm. like compared to 50 years ago so i thought that was really interesting um yeah and you know going back to other discussions we've had on like the tiny house movement and stuff mm-hmm. but, like i've been in my parents house not to like shit on them because they have a nice house and stuff and they just redid their pool and now it's salt water so it's very bougie but oh they have central ac and i live in a literal tenement house in new york that doesn't have um central ac and i'm so cold mm-hmm. all of the time here and i literally turn their ac off Mm-hmm. And I got yelled at because it's too hot now, even though I'm literally yeah. wearing a sweatshirt. It's August and I'm wearing a sweatshirt because it's oh. so hot in here. I mean. Um, but just the fact that, like, my brother lives here now and, you know, I'm visiting or whatever. But normally it's just my parents. And my parents don't live in that big of a house. They live in a colonial, you know, four-bedroom house. Mm-hmm. But I'm, like, just from the fact that I've lived in 500 square feet with one other person and all we spend our money on is... Like, we don't go on fancy vacations. We mm-hmm. spend all of our money on food, alcohol, yeah. and housing. Yeah. I definitely see that as being a very stark lifestyle change. Because my parents moved into this house, like, 20 years ago. Like, they weren't that much older than you are, Shay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they raised a family here. We didn't move. You know, they're probably going to retire in this house and, you know, have it for at least, a you know, a good period of time. And I just find it so interesting that I'm, like... I like coming here, but I'm like, I could do with half the house. I don't know. Like maybe when I have kids or whatever, but, but then I think about 
I could spend not as much money on food and I definitely do frivolous things like order out on Seamless and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it just made me think of that the Bon Appetit article that was talking about how in terms of percentage of disposable income, millennials are like far and above spending the most on food mm-hmm. and less on like saving for retirement and like putting equity into a house and stuff like that. So anyways, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think that is really interesting. Once again, I'm going to recommend this you need a budget thing because it's really interesting the way it like sets that up what you're spending your money on because it's like there's no like you get to kind of set your priorities, which I think is really interesting. Um, But I don't know, I always have I have many opinions on this. Like, first of all, I feel like as long as you're paying your bills and not going into debt, like who cares what how your money is allocated, A. Uh, B, you know, the big house thing and the air conditioning like cracks me up because I also for seven years lived in a former tenement house in New York City. And yeah. now I live. And ours was even worse because at least I have a room AC in the living room. But when we lived yeah. together, we it did was... not have a room AC in the living no. room. And I, I was also like, you know, I was like, we will not have a room. I didn't even think about putting an AC in yeah, the living room. No. Um, you know, so it's been very weird for me to now kind of be living in suburbia and have this house. Now we're pretty lucky because our, we live in Oregon and we live, our house is directly under several large damp trees. So in general, (laughs) the house stays pretty cool. But, um, David also does like having the house very cool and it's, uh, like, it's freezing. And there were a couple days when it was like really hot outside. So it was like a hundred degrees outside and it was 65 degrees in the house. And I am like sitting there in my winter clothes and I'm like, this is so ridiculous. So it's like when he goes to work, I like pop it up to 70 or whatever. Um, and if I were here by myself, like, um, I will probably turn the thermostat off completely because you know, whatever. Um, But it is interesting, like, uh, that housing choices, again, and we've talked about this so many times, they're so different, and they're so different, you know, not just from the previous generations, but for among millennials, depending on their age and what part of the country they live in and, um, you know, what their values are. Because I think there's a different range of values um, among millennials than perhaps there was among previous generations. And I guess what I mean by like range of values is I feel like 50 years ago, it was like, get married, buy a house, have the kids. And now it's like, you know, get married or don't get married, buy a house or rent, like both are viable choices. And I think that's really awesome that we have that ability. Um, Yeah, like, I think if I buy a house like this, I would be perfectly fine having one that doesn't have central AC. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, because I don't know, man global warming though not just kidding <laughs> but it's caused by the ac that's what the 538 article was talking about how it's like yeah. a circular thing where you're like oh i'm gonna buy all this energy efficient stuff but then it's like if your house is like and not it doesn't even have to be that big it's just like the average house has gotten mm-hmm. bigger over time yeah you know obviously we don't live in tenement houses anymore unless you're me yeah um yeah but like you know it's just interesting like what you think you need although it is very swampy here it's like Mm -hmm. been raining and i was like whoa i did not know that this was louisiana i got on the flight (laughs) it's very funny but anyways um shall we move to our modern love yes so i haven't read them so okay i'm coming in hot either i just pulled them up um so for readers who or readers listeners who may not have been here before maddie and i uh are 
doing the 36 questions that lead to love uh, from the Modern Love column in the New York Times. And we're calling this the practice hut. Yes, we're calling this the practice hut. Uh, So do with that what you will. Maddie and I are not trying to fall in love with each other, even because we already are. uh, But we're trying to make our readers fall even more in love with us. Um, So... We are on, we're doing like two to three questions at a time. So we're starting now on question number four, which is what would constitute a quote unquote perfect day for you? Oh my God, this is like the Miss Congeniality scene where she's like April yeah. 24th because it's not too hot and not too cold. Exactly. Um, the perfect day or perfect date? Is that what day. D-A-Y. Day. I don't know. Like on vacation, maybe like waking up reading a newspaper walking on the beach going on a hike coming home margarita dinner bedtime i don't know like just being on vacation i feel like is nice yeah i have to agree with that it and it's you know i think it's just a day that's like I think my perfect day is always like a day where i can just do whatever i want which <laughs> And that varies depending on what I may want on that perfect day. But it's generally something similar. It's like not have to wake up too early, then go outside and the weather be not too hot nor too cold so I can do an outdoor activity, um, you know, and then come home and drink wine and make a nice meal and go to bed at a recent decent time as well. So yeah, sounds good. Maddie and I are pretty boring. Like so nice. uh, question number five. Uh, when did you last sing to yourself and to someone else? Oh, to someone else. Hmm. I feel like maybe when I was in choir in high school. Does that count as singing to someone else? Sure. I mean, I sing to myself like, so, I don't know, like when I'm like bebopping around, if I'm like listening to a good song, like I'll mm-hmm. sing along. I don't really sing in the shower or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I can't remember the last time. I sang to another person. That's so awkward. That's like a, if you're like with, like if I sang to Corey, that's like so weird to me. <laughs> like, do you do that with David? Do you like sing him love songs? <laughs> no, but I mean, I think. Maybe to Benson. Know, oh my God. Well, I'm about to uh, regale you all with some of my Benson songs. Okay. So I'm just the type of person like I sing constantly. I mean, I guess to someone else that's I, like, I sing to myself a lot. Um, but I also, like, I guess mostly to children, I'm always like, but it's always made up songs. And I sing to Benson literally all the time. And there are, a, there's a large repertoire of, ooh, sorry, I'm hitting the desk. There's a large repertoire of Benson related songs. Okay. And would you like to hear some? Yeah. Should we do a, a an album? <laughs> yes. We could offer this she on the Patreon. To Benson. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah give us a sampling. I'll, I'll um, give you notes. I will say before I start singing songs to Benson, I do not come from a singing family. We are the family where people were asked to just move their mouths during, you know, uh, school choir concerts. <laughs> so don't accept, expect anything great. Okay. But Pretend my favorite Benson. one is this one. Benson, Benson, Benson Keats runs around on her little feet. Benson, Benson, Benson Keats. You are so, so very sweet. Wow, <laughs> that... Um, it was a little pitchy for me, dog, but I love the lyrics. <laughs> Thank you. Very creative. I'm really proud of the lyrics. Yeah, that was really um, good. Does Benson like it or does she act uninterested? Um, 
it depends on the day. Sometimes she starts rolling around on her back and looking very excited because she thinks we're about to play. Um, I would say about 60% of the time she just looks at me and like kind of gives a big sigh and is like, I hate my life. But, um, you know, that's good. She lives there for my the purpose of my enjoyment. And uh, she can take a little high pitch, pitchy off pitch uh, singing. Yeah, that was good. All right. I think we should keep going. Should we do one more? Let's do one more. more. Okay. Number six. If you are able to live to the age of 90 and retain either the mind or body of a 30-year-old for the last 60 years of your life, which would you want? Oh, the mind for sure. The mind. I was going to say, this is so easy. Yeah, Um, we should do another one. That was like a no-brainer. I also feel like, uh, you know, the... (laughs) Clearly, you're going to pick the mind because you can have a 90-year-old body that's still, like, if you, like, eat right and do some yoga. Like, you can have a 90-year-old body that doesn't suck. So Yeah, and what are you going to do? Like, you look like a 30-year-old, but you're, like, have dementia? Like, I don't understand. That's dumb. Yeah. Anyways. Next question. Okay. One more. Uh, Do you have a secret hunch about how you will die? No. I'm not really worried about it, to be honest. I mean... I feel like I'll probably die. So, again, I'm knocking on wood just because I never want to jinx myself. But my family is pretty long-lived. Like, I have several centenarian aunts and, um, you know, well, you know, so I'm just not really too worried about not living to be, like, 100 years old. So Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'll live to be 100, but, like, I don't. Like, I've never, like, me personally, I've never had, like, a major health issue. I don't really do, like, dangerous things. Yeah, me neither. You know what I mean? Like, people that, like, you know, if you're, like, oh, I'm in a gang, like, I might die tomorrow of, like, getting shot. Like, I don't know. So, it's either going to be an accident or I'll just be old. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Well, that was a good uh, downer. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, Um, All right. Well, this has been a delightful episode. I feel like we touched upon a lot of things. Many, many things. So, uh, campers, thank you for listening. As always, uh, send us emails. Hello at campadulthood.com. Follow the social. Um, and at talk camp to underscore adulthood. Because, yeah, we want to talk to you. Yes. Right. Thanks, campers. Bye. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, resident youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield. And this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com. And you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at camp. Adulthood